You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Lessons from the Great Coaches podcast. I've learned that you don't do it alone. You learn so many different things from so many different coaches. That's an elite learning environment. Failure is not a problem. How you deal with it is a problem. How to be resilient. How important it is to infuse joy in the process of learning. To be a good coach, you've got to give more than you take. What an interesting life it is to be a leader. Hello and welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast, where we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership, and so we interview great sports coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our families, colleagues, and our teams better. For today's podcast, we've caught up with the former Australian cricket coach, John Buchanan, and former Australian player and now coach, Michelle Gosco to get their views on the men's and women's ashes ahead of the fifth and final men's test at the Oval in England. And just before we go to the interview, if you enjoy listening to the podcast and you'd like to learn more, you can head over to our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com, where we have loads of exclusive audio and video content, which we'll be adding to regularly as we interview more great coaches from around the world. And now, please enjoy our interview with John Buchanan, and Michelle Gosco. You're listening to the Lessons from the Great Coaches podcast. Michelle Gosco and John Buchanan, good morning to you both and welcome, well, welcome back to the Great Coaches podcast. John and Michelle, welcome for the first time. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, really looking forward to this and it's great to see John again as well. We just mentioning had a great talk to us um, when I was playing for the, the Aussies. So uh, obviously it made a really good impression with that two hours. And Paul, obviously we know uh, how uh, well known you are. So uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Michelle, nobody has called me well known. So let me start by saying thank you to you <laughs> as well. 
But, of course, we're here to talk all things cricket. The Women's Ashes has concluded. We've retained the urn, which is fantastic. And, John, we're on the eve of the final test over there at the Oval, so it's going to be good to get some feel, uh, some feedback and some thoughts from both of you. And I guess, why don't I just start with you, Michelle? We've retained the Ashes. It's been fantastic. Yes. What have you noticed? What What's piqued your interest as you've been watching the game? I think how close the contest has been. Um, and to be fair, I, I've been really impressed with the English side, um, how they've fought back. Um, obviously, the Australian side got off to such a remarkable start um, and it's been fantastic to see a five-day test as well come back in for um, the women's team. So, And those test matches are as rare as hen's teeth. So be able to play those. Um, and you have to you have to give some credit to all the female players. They don't play four day cricket. They don't play shield cricket. They don't play test cricket too much. Uh, they're blessed to actually get two uh, test matches this year. One with South Africa back in Australia. But um, yeah, it's remarkable how they can transition from white ball cricket into red ball cricket. So um, yeah, over in England, obviously the Aussies got off to an absolutely cracking start, and then the English fought back. So. Yeah, I've been. It's it's sort of been like a bit like the men's ashes in a way. It's been such a close contest, and it's been record breaking crowds for the women's side over there um, as well. So it all bodes well for the future. And I think having Meg Lanning not playing on that tour that that is um, it's disrupted the Australian side a little bit. Obviously, she was out the previous year uh, internationally as well, but. I think Alyssa Healy has done such an amazing job. Uh, must run in the family. Obviously, we saw with Mitch Stark being injured and then Alyssa Healy getting an injury and, and playing on um, with a broken finger. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's been an amazing series. And, yeah, and now they're in Ireland. So can't wait to see what happens there as well. I'm going to ask you about Alyssa Healy and her leadership style. But, John, over to you. Yeah. Fight back um, seems to be the theme yeah. of the day. It does, doesn't it? Though? But, um I was just interested then in Michelle. In fact, I was watching uh, an episode of Ted Lasso last night, uh, and uh, this is the <laughs> third series, and this is where he introduces total football into Richmond, which is chaos. Um, but the point being is that he was placing people in positions that they hadn't been in before just moving all around the field, so therefore therefore the chaos. And, Michelle, you then mentioned, obviously, with Meg Lanning out, you know, that's a disruptor, but it's actually there, therefore placed people uh, in leadership roles and, and possibly in batting orders and, and a whole range of different responsibilities in the team. So um, have you been able to um, sort of sum that up in, in some way, shape or form, whether that's been a good thing, uh, a disruptor, or something that possibly has impacted on the way that the team ended up playing the, the short form of the game after the long form. Yeah, I think obviously losing your leader is is a big change for the team. But you can have a look at that side. They've got so many experienced players, Elisa Healy, Elise Perry, Beth Mooney now. Uh, so Megan Shoots even in there, and, and she's obviously been a leader of that bowling unit. So I think... It has been a little bit disruptive just with um, how the batting order looks a little bit. And obviously being in England, it's a big tour. When you're when you're touring away from your home country, it, it is very different. And and obviously um, you, you've got crowds in there that are against you and, and things like that. But I think 
Alyssa Healy has done an absolutely superb job. Um, she's a natural-born leader. She always has been. She's a different style to Meg Lanning. Um, and also probably Talia McGrath is the next one off the rank. Um, that's the vice captain. Has done a tremendous job back in with South Australia and um, the strikers and obviously led them to uh, victory for with the strikers last season. So she's been amazing, but she's a different leader as well to Elisa Healy. She's a different leader to Meg Lanning, but... There are natural-born leaders. Ash Gardner wants uh, a bit of a leadership role as well. She does have that without the title. Um, and obviously you can see that with her cricket. She's the number one uh, all-rounder just about in the world at the moment. And the impact that she can have on that side has has been amazing. So uh, it, it has been a little bit difficult, as you can see. And the, the performances weren't there in the back end of that Usher series. Um but they still retain them. Then we look at it and go, okay, well, they've still retained the ashes. So there's lessons learnt there for Shelley Nitschke and the and the uh, coaching unit. But, um, yeah, look, hats off to, to Lisa Healy. She's done a tremendous job. Yeah, yeah. And obviously got to give credit to England too, as you say. They, they probably improved their play right throughout the series. Um, again, maybe didn't adapt to the Red Bull game as well as Australia had done, but they've certainly uh, made some real strides in their, in their, one, in their short form game. Yeah, absolutely, and and they they've been absolutely superb. And the way, as I said, the way that they fought back, I, I heard that the awe has gone away from the Australian side. They believe, and that you just need that one win that you can say, okay, I can actually win this, and that that is such a big factor. If you can have belief, they can actually do it, and you actually have done it. Well, then you can see what's going to happen in the future. So they'll come here next time when they have the Ashes in Australia. They'll they'll have some belief behind their performances. I'd like to pick up a couple of words and key phrases that you both talked about then. We finished with belief. We also talked about leadership styles. And I guess, John, I'd like to start with you, actually. How have we seen the leadership styles of the two men's captains evolve as this series has moved along? Yeah, interesting, isn't it? Um, If I look at Stokes... Uh, from an England perspective, I don't think he's changed. You know, like I, I just think Stokes at the beginning of the series is Stokes right now. He, he's been pretty well saying the same things. His, his demeanour has been the same. His actions on the field have been the same. And uh, I just think, yeah, pretty, pretty uh, uh, steady is not quite the right word, but, but at least measured and, and quite consistent. Um and I think that's been pretty interesting in itself because, as Michelle knows, when, you, when you're when you an English side, uh, you, you really do carry the weight of the country on your shoulders when you're out there playing for England. And, and not to say that everybody else doesn't in their own countries, but, um, and again, this is no disrespect to England and their sporting teams, but they're not that successful. You know, and uh, and so every time, and and to some degree, it all you know, it all, we just mentioned Ted Lasso. To some degree, it revolves around I think the nineteen sixty six World Cup. You know, and and when's the next great event for England happening? You know, we we endured that a bit in two thousand and five when England beat us over there in the, in the Ashes series, and so their the big wins seem to be few and far between. So every team, and therefore every leader, carries a huge amount of. Um, expectation upon the shoulders. And, of course, this has been built up for this series through, you know, the baseball. But the baseball really has led to England 
winning a lot of games. And so coming into this series, into a national series, there was huge expectation that England would probably win the series. Now, that, that didn't start the right way, but nonetheless, seemed to me Stokes handles that pretty well all the way through, win, lose, um, ashes, etc. He seems to be pretty measured and pretty consistent. Paddy Cummins, uh, I would venture to say that, you know, he is pretty consistent as well, but I think he's really feeling the weight uh, of this, this series. I think that was evident in his own performances through the, the fourth test match. Um, and where Australia have been criticised for the way that they went about that particular particular game and, and having lost the, the, the one beforehand, um, I think he's really feeling the pinch at the moment, um, albeit that he's still a, a pretty um, phlegmatic sort of guy, Tends to always have that bit of a smile on his face. Uh, it seems like nothing really bothers him too much. But I, I just sense that uh, right at this stage of the, the tour, um, he's, he's definitely feeling the pinch. Now, whether this little bit of a break and coming into the last game is enough to, to turn that around, knowing that you've only got one test match to play um, and uh, you can give it everything you've got. And, and then there's a bit of a break. Uh, whether that, that's enough to, to flip it around, I think what he needs, and which will help him through the series, is that his other leaders, which we were just, um, Michelle was just alluding to as well, they need to really begin to stand up for him too. Um, you know, I think Smith, apart from one innings, has been a real disappointment. Um, on this tour, I expected him to really be the rock that Australia build their, their batting around. Uh, obviously, Kawaja's had a couple of innings. You know, Warner has been a disappointment. Labuschagne up until uh, this last test match, or last innings, the last test match, has been a disappointment. Uh, heads, have, heads been a little bit a hit and miss. So, uh, you know, Kerry has, has done well behind the stumps, probably hasn't produced with the bat. Green hasn't really produced what people thought he might. Marsh has come in and, and played a couple of good innings. Um, so... Stark, Stark has, I think, stood up very well. Um, but in and around all that, losing Lyon, I think, again, not only his um, wicket-taking ability and, and, and how he glues that Australian attack together, but just his presence in and around the dressing room and, in, and on the field, I think, has, has been a big big, uh, big loss for, for the team, but also for Paddy Cummins. So, yeah. Hopefully, he gets some of the senior guys to stand up, which will take a fair bit off his shoulders and, and hopefully allows him just to go out and, and play and lead the side the way that he probably started the series and, and wanted to do for the whole series. Michelle, this idea of, as John says, senior players standing up and being a rock, it seems to be very evident <clears throat> in the women's team, especially under the leadership of Elisa Healy. What have you noticed about the di- the team dynamics of the women's team and the men's team? What's caught your eye? Yeah, I, I think John just touched on it. it the, a lot of the senior players have stepped up um, to help Elisa Healy. She's got the hardest job in the game, the wicketkeeper. Um, you know, to to be the glue for that team um, and also making decisions around the fielding placements and who's going to bowl next and all that sort of stuff and and trying to be a, a proactive leader. Um, 
instead of a reactive one. It's very tough when she's she's uh, wicket keeping and also opening the batting in the white ball format. So that's a very very big job. Um, I think probably Megan Shoot probably hasn't had the series that she wanted. Um, and I think she has been the rock. Uh, she's been the main leader for the bowling uh, unit. So, and she's got uh, Darcy Brown there, who's a young player, is coming in, learning her craft still. Uh, and she probably hasn't had the the series that she wanted. I, I think it's been the Jess Jonassons, Beth Mooney, uh, Elise Perry, obviously, has known Elisa Healy since she was about 10. Uh, so they go back a long way. Um, she has stepped up and Shelley Nitschke's done a tremendous job to have those uh, senior players really having input into what's going on. And I saw a video yesterday, Phoebe Litchfield's leading the, the fielding review. So someone who's 20 years of age uh, is already stepping up into that role. And, and that's got to be a real credit, as I said, to Shelly Nitschke and the coaching unit that they have there. They can they have that belief in the players coming through. And, and that's telling you how strong it has been at domestic level. And I know the great Melinda Clark has been working um, with a, a lot of the young leaders around uh, Australia, which has been obviously such a good uh, part of why the Australian team is, has been so successful, and especially Talia McGrath. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe this summer, if, if Meg Lanning's still not there, that Talia McGrath might step into that captaincy role, just take a little bit of uh, pressure off Alyssa Healy, who is at the back end of her career. She may choose to play for another 10 years. She probably could. Um, as a keeper, why would you want to? I, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so Tally McGrath has obviously been um, identified as the next leader. And then you've got another young crop under underneath that, so around in domestic cricket in Australia. But it's been a tough nut just to get into that Australian side, let alone be a leader in there. So maybe they identify within, as I mentioned before, Ash Gardner has aspirations uh, to maybe captain her side one day. And and she certainly has um, the experience now to be able to do that. But as we all know, being a captain is about managing people as well. And and that's a really big job to be able to do that at such a young age. And now you think back, Meg Lanning's been captaining the Australian side for a very, very long time. And even she had to learn um, while she was in the role at 20, early 20s years of age. So that's a, that's a big um a, a hard job to be able to do that. So I think the dynamics changed a little bit, but I think you can see much of the same. And you can see even now that um, around the world that all the women's um, structures are becoming full-time athletes, the women's IPL, there's a lot more cricket played. And the more cricket that they play, the stronger the teams will get. And it used to be mainly just Australia, uh, New Zealand, and England um, back in the day. And and now you can look at it and go, okay, well, there's probably top eight sides. There's still a way to go. But, um, yeah, that's going to change sort of how competitive the teams are and really challenge the Australian side, which is good to see. I want to come back and talk about belief. You've mentioned it a couple of times. And I want to link it to, to sort of on-field behaviours. But, John, there was also something Michelle said there that I'd like to pick up with you, and it's reacting, responding or perhaps reaction versus responding. And, and, of course, in the last test, the rain played such a major role. So I wanted to ask you, when, you know, when factors outside of your control impact the outcome, how do you respond? How should you respond? Um, yeah, well, it depends on which dressing room you're in at the time, I think. <laughs> uh, 
I think the Australians were very happy to see that rain coming down. Um, look, uh, pretty pretty much no cliche, uh, and that's control the controllables, isn't it? You know, so um, in essence, weather, umpiring, um, crowds, media, even family. Um, you know, there there are lots of things there that. You, you just have no control over how they're, they're going to uh, or what, what's going to happen, how they're going to respond, what they're going to say, whether they support you, whether they don't support you. You know, there's so many things that, that you can get sidelined by as a, as a player or as a coach or as, as a team. So it, it is that cliche. you just got to come back to the things that you control and, uh, and understand what they are. And do those to the best of your ability, you know. So, so yeah, in my programs, I'll, I'll talk very much about that. That it's um, understanding yourself first and how you best operate. And you've got a certain number of things that you do that give you a chance to perform. And if you do those, then you put yourself in best position to do that. Uh, if you don't, then you make yourself even more vulnerable than, than what you are anyway in certainly an elite sport. So, But there are always no guarantees, no guarantees. So, you know, it can be the best planned, best prepared, um, have so-called the best team, uh, best teamwork, best culture, you name it. Um, and then suddenly something comes along that just blows that away. And, uh, you know, it, it's in a sense, wow are we on the right track? Well, I think the point is that if you take a snapshot view and, and potentially that's what people have done with Australia's loss um, in the third test and then with some of the tactics in the fourth test. So taking a snapshot in time, probably you can be critical of some of the things that, that went on. But if we tend to run the movie over a period of time, then the teams that are, or the individuals that are, you know, best plan, best prepared, good team culture, a whole range of things, are generally going to come out on top in the movie version. But, you know, on, on a one-on-one one versus one contest, you know, sometimes anything can happen and factors outside your control, e.g. good umpiring decisions, poor umpiring decisions, you know, can affect uh, the outcome of a, of a game or a personal outcome, personal result. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You said in there, John, that the Australian dressing room were happy for rain. 
do you think there might have been some players that weren't happy about the rain? And particularly if you were in there leading the team, how would you have framed their mindset around the rain and what they expected or wanted to happen next? Yeah, look, uh, ideally, everybody in the room is, is well, whichever dressing room you're in, we're wanting to get out on the field and play and get a result. Um, that's ideal, but, you know, that doesn't necessarily always play out. And, and particularly, and again, I go back to, to my experiences in 2005, um, I, I think that dressing room at the moment, and, and there are a lot more people in that dressing room than, than, than we had, you know, there's 15 support staff on top of you know, the number of players that have got around. So uh, it's a real mix of personalities, characters, um, you know, people going well, people not going well, a um, whole lot of dynamics going on in there. And with the way that England are playing and the way that English crowds are supporting their team, my view would be that in 2005 we became very isolated, you know, like we just felt the, the world was closing in on top of us. And in that sense, then, and I think we've had this discussion before, you know, I know I wasn't coaching at my best and I know certain players were playing at the best, some were. And so there are a lot of tensions that are flying in, in that dressing room. And so you're right, I think some players might have wanted to be out there and, and played, you know, on the basis that, you know, um, let, let's have the contest and, and work out who's the best team on the day. But I would sense that the majority of people in that dressing room were very happy for the game to be drawn because it really did look like England had maintained the upper hand through the course of that game. And if they had sufficient overs, would have won the game, which took it to two all, and then going into the fifth test, decided now it's two one. The Ashes have been retained, and uh, it, it takes both teams with a different mindset now into that last game. Which which team, in a sense, uh, will still have a mindset about um, really doing everything they possibly can to win the game, not only in terms of lead up, but all all, way, all the way through the game, and. Uh, and I guess that, you know, when I, Michelle might want to comment around the Australian teams as well, uh, but from a men's team point of view, I, when I first started coaching, I felt that was one of the things that was missing, that it seemed that it was a really good Australian team, but if something had been decided, as in a series or a tournament, um, then the remainder seemed to lack the intensity or lack the effort or lack the commitment, lack the discipline, to seal the rest of the, the tournament or the series. Um, and that was something that certainly Stephen Moore and Ricky Ponting myself, uh, I think we all maintained the fact that it is still just going to game. You, whether you win, you lose, it's all about the next game. How well we actually present ourselves the next game is, is the one that, that counts. Michelle, you've talked about belief a few times in your answers here. How is that belief visible in the Australian team that you've been watching on this series? Yeah, I, well, I'm just going on a question of something that John actually said. If, if as a player uh, in the men's game where that last test match was washed out, 
I look at that and I go, okay, it's almost a sense of relief. It's not a, a celebration. It's like, phew, we got away with that one. Okay, well, then we need to focus on the next one. Um, and as a player, uh, for me, um, look, I want to win every game that I play. Um, and in the women's game, they're exactly the same. And uh, that 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 Australian side at the moment, it is it is so special. Um, and obviously, um, everything that they're doing is trying to win. Obviously, that's what you do in cricket. But uh, yeah, in the women's game, it it, it is. It is important that every game you play, we just saw Jess Jonathan um, has got 200 games, she just played across all formats, um, and that doesn't really happen uh, too often. Um, and we saw Elise Perry played a number of games as well, but she's been playing since she was 16 for the Australian side, So, um, which I was still you know, trying to navigate year 10, I think, um, when she was doing that, <laughs> and also playing for the Matildas. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, um, look, that that side, I, honestly, I look at it and I go, there was a, a, a cutthroat moment, I think, after the World Cup three, four, five years ago, and they identified that they probably weren't where they wanted to be, um, and, and now they are, and now they're having to transition again. They're, the older players, I'm sure John had that issue as well, is, you got players turning into their thirties, but how do you how do you navigate that, and how do you get those players into the side? So it, it is it is a tough one. John, the English team have got eight players over the age of thirty two, and I think we've got at least five or six as well. Age does it affect belief and mindset? Um, look, age shouldn't matter in that regard. I mean, if if you haven't got the right mindset or you don't believe in yourself or the team, doesn't matter whether you're 21 or you're 51, uh, it's not going to work, you know. So um, all, all I think age does um, really, one, well, one thing age does do, it gives you a heck of a lot more experience. It gives you a heck of a lot more knowledge. Um, you've seen situations a number of times, so um, it, it can foster even more stronger belief in yourself because, you, you know, you've been there and you've done something and, and uh, you feel more comfortable um, with what's a, what you're about to face. Um, but all age does is, is just obviously slow by you down. So I noticed uh, in an interview of Warren just recently, um, you know, that was part of his response just around whether or not I'm still seeing the ball as well, whether I'm still as uh, quick on my feet uh, as I was before. That will determine a lot about what my future might look like, you know, so... Um, it, it's those sorts of things in terms of whatever your role is in the team. So from his point of view, you know, he needs good reactions as an opening batsman. You know, if it's a fast bowler, it's, you know, in a sense, it's a, it's the niggle worm that, that suddenly becomes less of a worm but more of a snake. Um, and, you know, it, it just really begins to make every training session so difficult and then getting up after every day, you know, Look at Jimmy Anderson at the moment. He's he's forty or whatever he is, forty-one. Still there, of course, but he certainly hasn't had the impact on the series that, again, I think England were hoping that he might. And I I, I put that down to possibly Australia have played him reasonably well, but I'd also put that down to the fact that it's, it's quite difficult for him to get up game after game, and uh, and so really that's that's what I think age does. And if if age begins to affect the way you think about your training and the way that you think about going into a game and the way you think about recovering for the next day or the next match, 
then that will begin to impact on your your self-belief in what you can do on the field. I'd like to ask both of you about this self-belief issue. I'm not a sportsman, obviously, but I come from the corporate world. But what I have noticed is that body language has changed quite dramatically through this series. Now, I was a little bit sceptical about Basball at the start and the, the way that Brendan McCullum was so stoic, sitting on the balcony, chewing his gum, staring at his team. But as the series has progressed, that stoicism, I think, has spread to the players on the pitch. Whereas in that last test in the men's game, the body language was was quite defeatist. There was a lot of drop shoulders. There was a lot of people with hands on hips staring at each other. The women's team, by, by contrast, couldn't have been more positive in the way they seemed to be engaging with each other in between wickets and runs. And I think... As the leader, you've always got to be conscious of your body language because people are watching and they can't always hear you, but they can often see you. And I guess I guess my question from all of this is, what have you both noticed about body language when it comes to the teams that have been competing in this, this Epic Ashes series so far? Well, body language for me is really important. I, look, I wasn't the best at body language when I was a player. I remember the great Wendy Weir saying to me, I was trudging off after getting a a duck and uh, came off and my shoulders almost were down to my ankles. And I could just remember her saying as on the sideline, Michelle Gosco, you are playing for your country. You lift your head up uh, regardless of the score. So I think for the men, if I look at the men's side and, and what's going on, the basketball phenom- phenomenon has obviously affected their performance. And, and John was saying you have to st- stick to your processes and things like that. The best teams are able to do that. Um, what England have done well in the men's game is put Australia off that. That That's what I, I look at it and I go, okay, well, they really challenged what the Australians um, were, came over to do and their plans and what they were able to do. Uh, and the best leaders are the ones that can actually let that go. And, you, and you've got to be able to, sometimes you might have to react to what's going on and, and that's okay for a short time, but um, you definitely need all the senior players leading up. I look at Steve Smith, he is, a little bit like how I was, you can read him like a book. You don't need to, you wouldn't even need to say a word. You can just look at him and know exactly how he's feeling. Um, and then I look at the women's game and Alyssa Healy, no matter the game, where it is, she's always got a smile on, on her dial. So you look at that and go, okay, well, if my leader's calm like that, well, that that reassures me a little bit that everything is going to be okay. Um, and even the great Belinda Clark, who I had, I always had belief, no matter where the game was, I look at her and go, okay, she still believes. And and that really drags the players along. Um, and cricket's a, a long game. You, you know, one over can turn the game back into your favour and you've just got to have that. And I talk about it, belief uh, in your bowling unit, in your batting unit, in your cap- captain and those senior players, and they need to drag those younger players with them. But... Yeah, in the in the men's game, it just it did look like they were a little bit rattled. Um, and Pat Cummins really needed those senior players to sort of help him along and and just just give him that support that he needed. I hundred percent agree with Michelle and, and and your comments too, Paul, about body language being really important. Um, there is absolutely no doubt about that. So no matter how how you're feeling or how well you're going or not going, um, you need to exude an air of confidence, an air of uh, being in control, um, uh, an air of, you know, we're not defeated here, we can win from anywhere. All those sorts of things uh, need to be on show 
uh, all the time, and, and uh, that's important. Um, but I think another thing that played into plays into that is we, you know, we we've shared a little bit of data here and there, and um, my Indian friend uh, Krishna uh, from All That Cricket keeps sending me a lot of lot of data on on the Ashes series. And what's been really interesting to note is that that England on on most indices, say eighty percent of them, are ahead of Australia, um, and therefore. I, th- I think what plays into that body language, as Michelle has said, that Australia knew what sort of strategy England were going to bring to play and they had a game plan as well to counter that. And I still think that was based around their batting or Australia's batting. In other words, Australia needed to bat for a long period of time, you know, making 350 or batting 120 overs if, you know, possible each game every time their first innings came around because then that throws the owners right back into England's court to, to again, continue to try to make the running. But Australia's batting has has done what other teams have done. It, it, for whatever reason, it's it's um, fallen into England's traps and and, uh, and so, therefore, they've very rarely been able to establish that beachhead at the beginning of the game. So, that in a sense... They're not only playing catch-up, but they're, they're actually not delivering on their, their game plan. And then, as Michelle says, therefore what they're doing now is trying to readjust, which you need to do at different stages. But when I looked at that last test match, from a bowling perspective, the, the figures showed that not only England were scoring more boundaries, which one expects because that's kind of their game, but they're actually scoring more ones and more twos and threes because what Australia had done, which I think is then play, this is a long way getting back to your body language, but I think that plays into the fact that, you know, we've got a very good bowling attack, Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins, you know, Boland, et cetera. And they're used to, in a sense, controlling the game a little bit. So they bowl good balls and, and they get dots or possibly they get wickets. But now they've moved away from that to actually enable, allow England to get ones or twos off good balls because they've spread their field to counter the boundaries. Yet they're countering the boundaries is not working either because England's still scoring them at the same rate. But now they're actually better at getting ones, twos and threes in Australia is. So I think that change of strategy or at least change of tactics on the field is, again, another burden that we go back to Cummins, another burden that, that he carries because, again, I think his comments after the end of this test match were, or at least the numbers were, that, you know, this particular game, it's been the highest number of runs he's gone for in a game, it's the highest runs per over in a game, um, you know, a number of, Figures that would play um, on on his mind somewhat, you know. And while it's playing on his mind, then he's not Pat Cummins, the bowler. And when he's away from the bowling crease, he's not Pat Cummins, the leader. So um, to your body language question, then I think that becomes a bit of a visible sign. And if there's a little bit of a visible sign from him on field in the dressing room, then that becomes a little bit pervasive. And, um, you know, that's what I'm hoping to see when we go into this test match 
that these couple of days break means Australia's going to get back to pretty basic game plan. You know, the, the overwicket traditionally should assist the Australian bowlers uh, because it generally has a little bit more bounce, not necessarily more pace, but at least, at least it has a little bit more bounce. Uh, and it is July, so the wickets are not tired and dead, so it should provide that. I think there's been a little bit of weather, so there should be some some good carry in there. And I, I think if Australia goes back to where we, we bat for a long period of time and then and then we don't sacrifice, we don't give away the good balls to England so that they can still score runs, then I, I think they'll be on track. John, as always, sage advice, great analysis as we head into the fifth test. So thank you very much for your time today. And Michelle Goshko, let's use the Polish pronunciation. It's been lovely to meet you and hear a little bit more about your thoughts on the women's game. And let's hope we can take the energy from that and inject it into our Matildas team, which are, of course, competing for the World Cup right now as we speak. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Good luck to the Matildas. Thanks very much, Paul, and and lovely to see you again, Michelle. So uh, hopefully we get an opportunity to do this into the future. Thank you both. Hi, everyone. We hope you enjoyed listening to Michelle and John's thoughts on the ashes and the links they discussed between leadership, belief and body language. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. We love the interaction with the people around the world who listen and all the details on how to connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skidt af alle de der podcasts, der forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel.